much of a struggle. But I want to read tonight from Psalm chapter 91, verse 1 to 3. It says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. And then the Lord says in verse 14 to 16, Because he or she hath set his love upon me, God, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And so I was reminded that he is my refuge. My house is not my refuge. It should be a safe place, but even if I don't have a home, He is my refuge. And if I call on Him and if I set my love toward Him, He will deliver me. He will set me on high and will be with me through it all. And so I want someone to be encouraged tonight to know that in your time of trouble and in your time of distress, you have a place you can run to. You have someone that is there. You have a refuge. So the word refuge is used many times in the Bible. If you look it up, there's lots of scriptures. But as we know, when you translate from the English language, uh, from the Hebrew or the Greek to the English language, the English language is quite limited when it comes to interpreting um, words. And so the Bible actually has a number of different Hebrew words for refuge. Um, the meanings are pretty much, they're roughly all around the same. But in our text, um, the word refuge comes from a Hebrew word, and it says... Um, Makasa. I don't know if that's right, but we'll just go with it. Um, it means a shelter, a place of hope to trust. And the root word that comes from, like where Makasa comes from, actually means to flee for protection or to confide in. What a beautiful promise. What a beautiful promise that we have a place that we can flee to for protection. Somewhere we can go to find hope. There's other meanings of the word refuge and they are uh, a place of asylum, a retreat, a place to escape to, to set on high and exalt, to hide. So if we turn to Numbers chapter 35 and put your finger in there and then Joshua chapter 20. Numbers 35 and Joshua 20. When the Israelites entered into the promised land, uh, each of the tribes were... Uh, allocated their own land, their own territory, except for the Levites. The Levites were given 48 cities that were scattered throughout the promised land. There wasn't a set place for them. It was just cities throughout. And in Numbers 35, we read that um, six of these cities were to be allocated as cities of refuge. And the names of them are uh, Golan, Ramoth, Beza, Kadesh, Shechem, and Hebron. And the word refuge in this instance means a place of asylum somewhere to go to be secure from destruction, a place to find assistance when you can't help yourself. So what was the reason for these cities? We read in verse 15 of Numbers 35, these six cities shall be a refuge both for the children of Israel and for the stranger. That's what I love about this. It's not just for the children of Israel. And for the stranger and for the sojourner among them that everyone that killeth any person unawares may flee thither. These cities were built for people who unintentionally killed someone. 
It wasn't a, a premeditated event. They didn't plan it out. It, it happened. It was a mistake. If you made a mistake, if you ended up accidentally killing a person, the closest male relative of that person that you murdered was responsible to come after you. And he was the, called the avenger of blood. Um, and he was to avenge his family member's death. He was to redeem his brother's blood by killing the one who murdered him. So if you are the one who has killed, you were given a way of escape from this judgment. Wherever you were at the time of the event, you were to make your way to one of those cities of refuge. And uh, the Israelites were told to build roads. Sometimes there weren't roads between cities. It was a vast area. Um, and they were told to build these roads to each of these cities. And these roads were to be clear. There was to be no rocks. There was to be no hills. There was to be nothing on those roads. It wasn't like a hike in the bush. It was to be like the freeway. It was just going to straight to the city of refuge. And they were to be maintained. They weren't just to be built and then left, but people were meant to come along and make sure that there was nothing standing in the way of those roads. Um, and I also read that there were to be, uh, what they say, 32 L's or cubits um, wide, which was actually double the regulation. So normal roads didn't have to be that long or that wide, but these ones did. And along the way, there were signs that pointed towards the city of refuge so you wouldn't get lost. Um, signs that said Miklat, which is where this, the, this word refuge comes from. Nothing was to hinder the person from getting to the city of refuge. They couldn't get lost. They couldn't trip over a rock or have to climb through the bush. It was to be maintained as a clear way to that walled city of refuge. And if we read in Joshua chapter 20, in verse 4, it says, And when he that does flee unto one of these cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come unto his own city and unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. When you arrived at the gate of the city of refuge, the elders would need you to give a full account of what had happened. They needed to know the full account. You couldn't leave out any detail. You were to give what was the event, why are you here, what did you do? And then when they had told him, or when he had told them, he, they would open the gate and they would let you in to the city of refuge. And the avenger would not be able to come in. You cannot go any further. And uh, he was not to leave until the high priest had died of that time. So, you know, your high priest could have been pretty young. could be years before the high priest died. But that was the one requirement of continued protection, was to stay put. If we read in verse 26... Uh, I think it's Joshua, or maybe it's actually Numbers. It says, But if the slayer shall at any time come without the border of the city of his refuge, whether he was fled, and the revenger of blood find him without the borders of the city of his refuge, and the revenger of blood kill the slayer, he shall not be guilty of blood. He can kill him, and it doesn't matter. Because he should have remained in the city of his refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer shall return into the land of his possession. You must 
remain in the city of refuge until the high priest died. If you didn't, then you were fair game for the avenger to come and kill you. If that person found you outside of the city, he could murder you and there was no consequences for him. So how does this apply to you and I? Are there cities spread out over WA that we can just go to? If I accidentally kill my brother or sister, can I run to, you know, some little town and I'm safe there? No, of course not. There are consequences to killing someone here, even if it was by accident. Um, But as with most physical stories and events in the Bible, there's always a spiritual application for the church today. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17 will start. Hebrews 6 verse 17 says, We're in God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and uh, Yes, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So when someone makes a promise, sometimes they will appeal to a greater authority. You know, you'll hear people say, which they shouldn't, but you know, oh, I swear to God, I, I, I make this promise, and I'm back. I'm getting God to back it up. It's going to happen because I, you know, it's a greater authority. Um, with God, there is no greater authority. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, oh, I swear by. There is no one greater than God. We, we sung it tonight. When God gave a promise, he gave his word, which is a rock-solid guarantee because God cannot break his word. It says that it is impossible for God to lie. So if he promises something, he will bring it about. God cannot lie. And because of this fact that he cannot lie, that his word is yea and amen, we have a strong consolation. And that word consolation comes from a word that means comfort or solace. And it's actually from a similar word um, as comfort in the New Testament when the Lord was speaking about sending the Holy Ghost. We have a strong comfort because we can run to a place of refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us in that place of refuge. And what is that hope? What is that hope that we pursue, that we go in to get? The hope set before us is Jesus Christ. He ran ahead of us and he became our high priest. Just like in the Old Testament when people needed a place to run to and there were cities of refuge dotted throughout the promised land, so Jesus is that city of refuge for us today. Jesus has become our high priest. And there are going to be times in our walk with God on this journey that we unintentionally get off track, we make mistakes and we hurt others, or we just get plain weary. It's in those times that rather than run away from a city of refuge, we need to make our way to Jesus Christ. The cities of refuge were built once the Israelites were in the promised land. It was when they had received a promise. And we've received a part of our promise now when we come to the Lord for the first time and we receive salvation. And this tells me that even in our promised land, in our walk with God, we're going to need a refuge at some point in our walk with the Lord. And I would say every day we need a refuge with God. 
Even as we live in the promises of God now and live with salvation, we are at times going to need somewhere to run. Psalm 61 verse 1 to 4 says, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of your wings. Selah, when you are overwhelmed, and the meaning of that word is to be feeble or weak and to feel faint. And I don't know about you, but I feel weak sometimes. I feel weak a lot of the time. I'm flesh. I am flesh. When I am overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. And that word rock comes from a word that also means refuge. When we feel faint, when we've made mistakes, when we feel far from him, God, lead us to that place of refuge. Amen. If you unintentionally made a mistake and killed someone, you didn't just take a little stroll down the path to the city of refuge. There was a reason why the road was wide and there was no stones and there was no bushes and there was no hills. You were to get there quickly. Both Joshua 20 and Numbers 35 said, you have to flee. To flee means to run away from danger. It means to go speedily. It is not a Sunday afternoon walk in the park. When you make a mistake, when you're feeling weary, you need to get to the city of refuge as fast as you can. The maintaining of the roads between those cities and the signs on the side of the road pointing that way were not for just no reason. It was so that the man or the woman could get to the city of refuge as quickly as possible. And tonight I want to encourage someone, if you are feeling lost and if you feel like you've made a mistake, get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. The avenger of blood is out to get us, church. He, he's Satan and he wants to destroy us. It says in 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, he walks about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to eat us up. And we need to be reminded of this. I'm not, I don't want to scare us into freezing. You know, we shouldn't be terrified of him uh, in that, you know, we don't do anything, but we need to be reminded of it so that we run to God so that we're not deceived by his devices. He would like nothing more than for us to go to hell with him. And that's why we need to get to the city of refuge. He's maybe running after you, but if you just get to God, if you just get to that city, he cannot harm you. There's a woman caught in the act of adultery in the New Testament. And obviously some people found her or someone did. And these people brought her uh, to face judgment. And they had rocks ready in their hands to stone her, to get rid of her, to get her judged because in the Bible it was death. That was the penalty. But what her accusers didn't understand is what they had done is bring her right to the place where she can find freedom, where that judgment can be taken away. They brought her to the one person that could give her freedom and release her from her sin. In Revelation 21 and verse 10 it says and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night the accuser of the brethren Satan he tries to convince you that you are not good enough and that you failed too many times he stands and he accuses us day and night 
and some of you would understand the thoughts that come in your mind day and night. But what he doesn't realize is that just like this woman caught in the act of adultery, the preached word and witness to lost souls gives hope and can draw people to that place of refuge rather than away from it. Let the accusations that the devil tries to destroy you with and discourage you with propel you towards the city of refuge, not away from it. Let it actually press you forward towards God. And that's why it's so important that you get to the city as soon as possible. The more your adversary speaks into your ear, the more likely you are not going to make it to that city. But at the moment you feel like you've fallen, run. Get to the city of refuge. Amen. Hallelujah. We read in Joshua 20 that when someone arrived at the gates to the city of refuge, they were to fully disclose what had happened. They were to confess exactly what had happened. And we heard this morning, when we've done something wrong, we must repent, and that includes confession. The thing is, God sees it all anyway, so there's absolutely no point in us coming to the city of refuge with any pretense. The city of refuge was for people that admitted they needed help. They had to confess that something had happened and they had to reach for help. And it's the same with us. When we get to God, we need to be open and honest with Him about exactly what happened, what has happened. We have to want the help. We have to want a refuge if the gates are going to be open to us. They're there ready. He wants to open, but we have to be honest and open with Him. We cannot come to the Lord with pride and arrogance. It'll get us nowhere. We read a moment ago that our adversary roars like a lion wanting to devour us. Only a few verses earlier, the apostle Peter said, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And it says, Casting all your cares upon Him. We have to come before God and say, I need you. I can't do it. I need you. I need someone to help me. I've got myself in a mess and I need someone to protect me. Psalm 62 verse 7 and 8 says, In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Pour out your heart before Him. All of it. The ugly parts, not just the parts that we want to, but everything can be emptied before him. And he's not going to go, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was in there, and walk away. He's not going to do that because he is our refuge. He's the place we can go to. We've got to share every piece of it with him. It's one of the requirements of entering into refuge. They had to disclose everything to the elders. And then they were able to enter in for protection. And we read before that there was one other rule that you must obey to continue to experience protection. And that is in verse 20 and verse 6. And we'll read it again. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest shall, that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come unto his own city and unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. He was to stay there until the death of the high priest. He had to stay within the walls of the city until that point, and then he could leave. Then the avenger of blood could not kill him without consequence, and that's going to stop them. It's no longer easy to kill the manslayer. 
When we arrive at our refuge, when we come to Jesus Christ, whether for the first time or many times later, we've got to stay within the city limits. This is so very important. And, and I've got an example in the Bible, and it will show how absolutely imperative it is that we keep ourselves close to the Lord. The story's found in Second Samuel chapter 2 and 3, and you probably already know it. And David and Saul are at war. And uh, Joab was one of the soldiers. I, I think he was a captain. He was quite high up in the army on David's side. And he had two brothers, Abishai and Asahel. And Abner was one of the soldiers on Saul's army. And there was a battle happening between the two of these armies. And Abner's side was losing badly. And so they were retreating. And Asahel, Joab's brother on David's side, he was a very fast runner. And decided he was going to get Abner anyway even though they were retreating, he's going after him. And so he ran and ran and ran and would not retreat or slow down. And so Abner turned around and said to him, Asahel, please just stop. Take the armor of one of these young soldiers behind me, you know, for your victory and your glory. I don't want to have to kill you. How will I face your brother? And it seems that he said this actually as a friend, knowing that he was more experienced in war. But Asahel didn't care. And so Abner, knowing it was either kill or be killed in war, he turned around and he pierced Asahel and he died. And at the time, Joab and uh, Abishai, they pursued after Abner for a while, but in the end they stopped running and time passed. And Abner became quite powerful in Saul's army. Um, but something happened and he became very unhappy with the situation within Saul's kingdom. He did not like what was happening and I think he probably started feeling that conflict of I'm not in the right side here I need to get to David's side of the camp and so he went to he he made a pact with um with David and so he went to Hebron to talk to him about the details and to seal the deal and remember that Hebron was one of the cities of refuge if Abner was to stay within those city limits of Hebron he wouldn't have to pay for the murder of Joab's brother because Joab is now the avenger of blood he's he's the closest kin to the brother Asahel that was killed by Abner. Um, it had been done in the heat of the moment and it wasn't malicious to the extent that they would think it would be. And uh, so they, David and Abner, they have this conversation. Yep, this is great. We're going to do this. And so David sends Abner away. And sadly, he leaves the city of Hebron. And just after Joab comes back from fighting a battle and he's told that Abner has come and he's going to make this pact with David and so he's worried actually he, it's not so much that he's mad at him for killing his brother but he's worried that Abner is going to be more powerful and he's going to be promoted above above him um, and so we pick up the story in 2nd Samuel chapter 3 in verse 26 it says and when Joab was come out from David he sent messengers after Abner which brought him again from the well of Syrah but David knew it not and when Abner was returned to Hebron Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Abner had been fooled. He was called back by Joab, the one person that he should have been really wary of. I don't know how he thought that this was a good idea for him to come and have a chat with Joab. Um, but he let him deceive him. Inside Hebron, Abner was safe. But we read that Joab took him aside in the gate just outside the city and he spoke to him quietly 
In Psalm 55, 21, it says, The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. And this verse speaks of Judas and his betrayal of Jesus Christ, but they can also speak of Joab. He came to him and he spoke with tranquility and peace in his voice. Quietly, he means to be secure, to be in safety. And he fooled Abner into thinking he was safe. And that's exactly what your adversary will do to you. You've made it to the city of refuge. And the one requirement is that you do not leave the city. But the devil sits at the gate just outside the city. And he whispers sweet nothings into our ears. And he wants you to think that you're, oh, you're a captive in that city. You don't have any freedom. You're missing out. Don't worry, I won't hurt you. You'll be okay out here. But this is a lie. The city of refuge was the one place that they did have freedom. Freedom to live. Outside of the city of refuge, you were always running from the avenger of blood. That is not freedom. It is not freedom to always constantly be running. We need to be reminded that when we enter into our refuge, Jesus Christ, we are finding true freedom. Outside the city limits, you did have some freedom. Freedom to die. Freedom to die, to give your life over. But in a city, you could live forever or until you grew old or whatever. But you could live. The person who patiently waited in the city of refuge wasn't fretting about the loss of his former freedoms. But instead, he was rejoicing. I've made it. I'm in the city. I'm safe. We've got to remember what we've been delivered from. Remember what he's taken us out of. The old life was really just a pile of rubble and hurt and pain and destruction. Now we can freely live forever with Jesus Christ, the one who truly loves us and cares for our souls. It doesn't matter who you are and whether you've been in this thing for a day or your whole life, we all need the city of refuge at all times. It's not a place that we go and visit and then leave when we feel strong enough. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. If you think you are strong enough to fight the avenger of blood outside the city limits, you are fooled. It doesn't matter how strong you feel. It does not matter. You have no match on your own. And that's why we need to stay put in the city of refuge. So what happens when you are tempted to leave? What do you do when you hear the accuser keep whispering in your ear and that's all you're hearing? Oh my goodness, I think I must be able to go out now. It's been enough time. He would have forgotten about me. It's okay. So what is the way to escape? It says that God will make a way of escape. What is it? And the best example I think to follow for any problem we have is to look at Jesus Christ and see what did he do in this situation because it says that he was tempted like as we are. He was just the same. He was, just, he was a man just like we were. And there were two times that I can see documented in the word where Jesus was tempted. And the first is the temptation in the wilderness. We read in Matthew 4 that Jesus was driven to the wilderness and Satan met him there and tempted him numerous times with numerous temptations. It was a full-on attack. 
over and over and over and over again. But we also read that when he was tempted, he had a counterattack mechanism. He had a way of escape from the temptation. And his weapon to counter those temptations was to speak the word of God. When we feel feeble, when we feel like we lack faith, that we are far from him, that's when we've got to go to the word. We've got to go to the word. And I listened to someone preach on the sound of faith the other day. And he said, how does our faith increase? How do we become strengthened? And the word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So no matter what situation you find yourself in, whether it's from your own doing or whether it just can't be helped, get yourself into the word of God. When we're in a sticky situation, we cannot trust how we feel about the situation. Feelings will deceive us every single time. This is when we must know. We must go to the word of God and get scripture that tells us how much he loves us, how much he cares, that he forgives and that he is our deliverer and our defender and that our enemy is already defeated. When the accuser of the brethren tries to deceive you into stepping outside of your refuge, quote scripture back at him until you start believing it for yourself. I don't live by what the world offers me, Satan. I live by the word of God, by every precious word that proceeds out of his mouth. And his word tells me that even if I feel like he doesn't care for me, his word tells me that he does. When you tell me I'm a failure and I've messed up too many times, his word tells me that I have an advocate with the Father and I have an anchor that holds steady and still behind the veil. When you tell me that I'm missing out on something out there beyond those city walls, I'm reminded that the word of God says that he that the sun sets free is free indeed. When your heart is overwhelmed, be led to the word of God and use it to your advantage. That's why we've got it. It really is as simple. I was, as I was preparing, I'm like, it is actually so easy. It isn't because our flesh is involved and it gets all up in there, but... It's right here. Back in the day, it was chained to the pulpit. You couldn't get a a piece of the word in the Bible. They only had parts of the Bible. But we have the whole Bible. We have the word of God and it is available to us. And all we have to do is open it and start reading. Sometimes you don't feel like it. Sometimes you feel like this is such a waste of time. Start vocalizing it. Pray the word. Pray. There is power in the word of God. The second time that Jesus was struggling, I believe, was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was here when his human will had to be submitted to the divine will of God. So when Jesus was struggling with the desire to give up and walk away from what he had to do, what did he do? Matthew 26 and verse 36, he says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit you here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass. He was honest. I don't want to do this. In the flesh, Jesus was like, eh, eh, 
I know what's because in in the divine he could see what was coming he knew what he, he knows the future and so in that he knew it he didn't want to do it in the flesh nevertheless not as I will but as you will he prayed he went that little bit further into the presence of God when he was feeling like it was just too much to bear it was then that he ran to the presence of God And I know we hear it all the time and we've been hearing it often lately, but we must be in prayer. Oh, it's in his presence that we will find fullness of joy. And then we read that his joy is my strength. So if I need strength for another day, then I need to get joy. And if I need to get joy, where do I find the joy? It's found in the presence of God. So it's his word and his presence that is going to get you through. That's the only things you need is his word and his presence. It's there that we find our refuge and our strength. One thing I do want to point out, though, is this. The city of refuge was only really a safe place for those who unintentionally murdered someone. It was only safe for a person who murdered out of... um, uh, Oh, hold on. It was not safe for a person who murdered out of malice. If they were found guilty, they were handed over to the avenger of blood to be killed. Someone had to pay the price for the death of someone's family member. And that price was death. And it was to be paid by the person who committed that first act. And this can seem like a pretty depressing thought for us because, you know, there are times we intentionally sin. It's not always a, oh, whoops, how did that happen? We, we are, it's premeditated. <laughs> And we know that we're doing it and it's intentional. So what happens to those of us who run to the city of refuge and we're found guilty at trial? In the Old Testament, we would be handed over to the avenger of blood and made to pay the price. But as we know, and we need to remind ourselves, is that Jesus Christ, who um, became not just the high priest, but also became the sacrifice. And I love how every story, every moment in the Bible, every account points to Jesus Christ. Every part makes up the redemption plan. And so if you have been found guilty, we heard this morning that you must repent. That includes that godly sorrow, confession of that sin, and a forsaking of those ways. And then Jesus Christ has done the rest. He has shed his blood. He took on the role of that manslayer. He took that on himself and he became the sacrifice for us. Are you thankful for that tonight? Are you thankful that he took the price for us? Amen. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He has become our high priest and has entered in once and for all, so we can come boldly to the throne and find grace and mercy. And just like the city of refuge in the Bible, we are not to leave until the high priest dies. But I tell you, there is coming a day. One day he is coming back. And he's not coming back as the high priest anymore, but as a conquering king. 
And it is then that we can return to our former glory. When in the Garden of Eden before sin, that's when we can go back. We will ultimately be free. When Jesus returns, we will be completely free from the struggles of this life. We will be with him forever. It is then that we are truly free from the sting of death and sin. Death and sin will truly be swallowed up in victory through the power of Jesus Christ. And we will be able to leave this city of refuge and live freely in glorified bodies in that beautiful place of heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. Can I have a position, please? Before I close, I want to make one more point. Jesus is our refuge in, uh, in the spiritual. But many times the Lord uses the physical to help us as well in our time of need. He uses those in the church, our brothers and our sisters, to help and support us. And so tonight you may be doing well, and that's great. That's awesome. You may be strong in your relationship with the Lord, and you may already be sitting in that city of refuge. But tonight I want to say to you, get alongside someone else. If you know someone is struggling, if you know someone is maybe starting to slow down a little, they're on their way to that city, but I don't know if they're going to make it get beside them. Get beside them. Let them hear words of encouragement. You can do this, brother. I'm with you, sister. I'm walking with you. I'm pushing you. Come on, you can do it. I'm with you. Don't give up just yet. Be like the signs on the road that point to Jesus. This way. It's Come on. Come on. It's this way. You're nearly there. You're so close. I'm here with you. It's just around the, friend cor- around the corner, friend. Keep going. Tonight, I want to open up the front of this church for whoever would like to come and find some strength tonight. And as we heard this morning, let us come and repent. Be sorry, confess, forsake those ways. Be honest before God and tell him what's happened. Tell him how you're feeling and oh, he will open up the gates for you to run into the city of refuge. And once you find that place of refuge, don't leave. If you feel like leaving tonight, don't leave the city don't leave the city because your accuser will find you and he will destroy you. Stay within the city limits. Don't step out of that place of protection and shelter. Get into the presence of God and find truth and clarity.